Did you see the Super Bowl adverts by He Gets Us? And what did you make of them? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of About Abortion. Thank you for joining us. And today we're talking about uh, some adverts that have really gone viral, displayed during the Super Bowl uh, just the other day in America. Now for the uninitiated, uh, the Super Bowl is um, a series of adverts with a little bit of uh, American football interspersed into it. Uh, for the uninitiated, American football uh, appears to be a game that Americans play that isn't much like football and is kind of a bit like rugby, except there appear to be fewer rules, um, such as you don't have to wait until someone's holding a ball before you tackle them and you're allowed to throw the ball forwards. Now, um, he gets us produced and, and showed uh, an advert there, I think it was last year, um, as well. Um, this costs tens of millions of dollars and it, it made a splash then and people debated whether or not it was um, a faithful representation of uh, Jesus because what these adverts purport to do is, is to show what Jesus is really like and therefore what authentic Christianity should represent. Uh, be perceived as, and uh, it's not difficult to see um, the, uh, the the perception or the presentation of Jesus that it is trying to um, fight against. And uh, as we'll go on to see in a minute, um, the uh, opposition is very much a straw man opposition. Uh, but nevertheless, before we go any further, um, let's watch this. Um, video. Uh, there are actually two adverts. We'll watch them uh, both and uh, and then we'll we'll carry on. Well, I think there are going to be uh, themes or ideas in there that every Christian will agree with. Um, there's there's the idea of love for our enemies. There's the idea of um, servant-hearted, uh, sacrificial, um, preferring of others and, and the needs and interests of others. Um, but we have to be very, very careful when there's a grain of truth. Um, as we've said in our home church, just a spoonful of truth helps the heresy go down and we can 
think that as Christians be generous with um, ideas, but we shouldn't be generous with ideas or ideologies. We should be generous when it comes to preferences and interests, and we should seek the good of others. But when it comes to ideas and ideologies and idolatry, we shouldn't actually be generous. We need to be discerning and we need to be very clear um, where there is error. And the problem with there being a grain of truth is that it can actually help um, us to swallow the whole thing. And uh, and so we shouldn't really be uh, looking really for common ground here. We shouldn't be trying to embrace as much as we can and give benefit of the doubt because actually the danger is when this is swallowed whole scale, um, if it's not true, if it's not helpful, if it's not accurate, it can cause um, a great deal of damage. So um, that said, let's get straight to the original um, washing of feet. Uh, this is in John chapter 13. And let's see for ourselves firsthand what this um, ritual is really about. Uh, and then we can see if it is being applied faithfully and helpfully um, in this advert. So we're going to read from John chapter 13 and it's verses 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realise now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, we can draw out a few things in particular from that reading. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the recipients of this act, the recipients of this act. Notice that Jesus did this uh, for his disciples. Uh, we have no record of Jesus going out into uh, society, generally speaking, and washing people's feet left, right, and centre. We don't see an example of him, for example. For example, we don't see him 
washing the feet of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. We don't see him washing the feet of the rich young ruler um, or um, the woman at the well. We don't see him washing the feet of the woman caught in adultery. Um, nor do we see Jesus washing the feet of those who were seeking to stone that woman. Instead, what we see in that instance is that he manages to stop the, those who would stone her and his message to her is one of non-condemnation, but he goes on to say, now go and leave your life of sin. So it's important for us to notice that this is something that is not given to us as our great commission. We're not commanded to go out into all the world and wash everyone's feet. We're commanded to go out and preach the good news, a message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So this is not something we're commanded to, to, to bestow on the unrepentant, on those who do not believe, um, nor are we to suggest that Jesus himself, were he here today in the flesh, uh, that he would be doing that, just washing feet indiscriminately. Connected with that, we need to notice something about these disciples. Jesus makes it clear when Peter protests uh, this because he, he knows he's unworthy and he should be the servant. He knows that Jesus is his master and Lord. Uh, and in, in a way that earlier on, um, he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When he sees the power of the Lord Jesus in performing a miracle, he, he's aware of his sin and, it, and he is right in feeling uncomfortable about this, the, the son of man, the son of God washing his feet. It should be the other way around. And it's perhaps similar to the way uh, John the Baptist said, well, you come to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And so the, there's an appropriate humility and, a, and a, a reticence to receive this by men who understand that they are sinners. And so Peter protests and Jesus says, you've got to be washed or you can't be part of me. Then Peter says, well, wash the whole thing. And Jesus says, you don't need that. And this is really important, really important for what the washing of feet actually is. Jesus said, a man who has had a bath, only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. This is critical. The act of washing someone's feet communicates that fundamentally they are already clean. They don't need to be born again, again, if you will. Uh, repentance and baptism and regeneration has already taken place. Um, they are already clean fundamentally. Um, and this is almost like, we could say it's almost like a top up. Um, that's a bit of a crude term to use, perhaps not the, the most accurate. But what, what I mean by that is they're already clean. But, and, and, and anyone who's put their trust in Christ is clean, is forgiven, is born again, is a child of God. But as we walk about on this earth, we still get muck on our feet. We still sin. We're not made perfect yet. And though we are forgiven and we are in right standing with God, we're still commanded in the New Testament to confess our sins to God, to one another. Um, we still need to say sorry. We still need to um, have our feet washed, as it were, and wash each other's feet, forgive each other, and um, in that sense, cleanse each other. Not that we need to be born again again. Uh, we've already repented and believe, uh, but we uh, need to have our feet washed, as it were. And I think that's a symbol of forgiveness of each other. Um, and it's an acknowledgement of the fact that though we're forgiven, we're not yet fully sanctified, we're not made perfect, we still struggle with sin, we're, we still 
in that sense, pick up dust along the way. But it's crucial we notice that the very act of washing the disciples' feet, uh, rather than uh, baptizing them, for example, that very act communicates that they are already fundamentally clean. Now, another clarification we need to throw in here, Jesus said, though not every one of you, he's speaking, of course, of Judas Iscariot. So before um, someone wants to apply this to everyone in the world and says, well, you know, everyone's fundamentally fine, they're fundamentally clean, they might just need, uh, you know, they make mistakes, they might need their feet washed, but they're fundamentally okay and we can just affirm them as they are. That is not what Jesus is saying. He very quickly clarifies that not every one of them, even those 12, not every one of them was actually clean. And so what that means is that for them, for Judas Iscariot in particular, foot washing is actually insufficient. That's not going to make them clean because they are not fundamentally clean. By analogy, um, if a firefighter has a fireproof suit on and is going into a burning building to um, put it out or to rescue people, um, if they have their fireproof suit on but they haven't yet put their gloves on and someone comes up and says, look, you need to put these gloves on and then you're ready to go, well, well that's fine because they're, their whole body is already covered. But if someone is not wearing a fireproof suit and someone comes up to them and says, hey, you just need to wear these gloves and then you can go in, you're fine, that is actually untrue um, and it's dangerous because if they believe what they're being told, they will go charging into mortal danger. And before a, a living and holy God, unrepentant sinners are in mortal danger to suggest they just need their feet washed or they just need to put on a pair of gloves rather than saying they need to be born again, they need to repent and be fundamentally cleansed. That is a reckless message to deliver. Foot washing is insufficient for someone who's not yet been born again, uh, forgiven, baptised. And then the, the, the final thing I want to note here is really a re recapitulation of uh, the point we made at the beginning, which is this is for disciples. This is not for the lost, the unsaved, because Jesus goes on to apply this to his disciples. He says, you should do this for one another, one another. That's for other believers. He doesn't say, he doesn't include this in the Great Commission. He doesn't say, now I've done this for you. You go out and do it for for pagans, for unbelieving Jews, for anyone. No, it's for one another. So we, we can draw this together and notice um, two very important things for our consideration here. One is the nature of this act and the other is the intended recipients of this act. The nature is this is not something that, um, that communicates that sin doesn't matter or that people are fine as they are. No, this is for people who are already fundamentally clean through faith in Christ, um, but nevertheless, they're not, um, they haven't yet stopped sinning. They're not yet made perfect, not fully sanctified in that sense. And so the foot washing is necessary. And that's the other thing we need to note is the recipients. This is for believers. So in, in who it's for and in what it is, um, we need to be very clear. And we need to be clear there is such a thing as a wrong kind of washing. And we see this in scripture in various forms. Um, washing sounds good, uh, but there's a time when it's inappropriate. For example, Jesus accuses um, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, as whitewashed tombs. That is to say, they're clean on the outside, and he talks about washing the outside of the cup, 
but on the inside it's full of all sorts of impurity. This is a hypocritical kind of washing. This is a whitewashing. We can think of the adulteress, the way of the adulteress in Proverbs 30 verse 20. Um, she eats the fruit and then she wipes her mouth and, and says, I've done nothing wrong. There's that kind of washing away of the, the evidence um, and the suggestion, uh, well, the, the attempt to present as clean, but the, but the heart is not clean. We can think of uh, Pontius Pilate washing his hands and saying, hey, I'm not responsible uh, for this man's death, except he was, and he's remembered in um, some of our central creeds as the one who handed Jesus over to death. Um, we can think, uh, moving slightly further away from the precise symbol of, of washing with water, we can think now um, of the, the Old Testament um, priests who failed to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy. And we, we spoke uh, a couple of weeks back about the false prophets who spoke smooth words and strengthened the hands of evildoers. It's a wrong kind of washing when we try to present sin as if it's okay. And I fear that's what this advert actually, it's part of what this advert, these two adverts are doing. So having looked at the primary text uh, firsthand, let's, let's come to these adverts and ask, are they faithfully conveying the meaning of this ritual and indeed the gospel itself? and who Jesus is. Well, the first thing to note is that there is no suggestion at all of repentance in this. There's a washing, but without repentance. Indeed, this is what um, Bonhoeffer railed against in um, his opening chapter uh, on cheap grace in um, uh, the costly discipleship. Um, he, he talks about, um, about baptizing a whole nation um, notwithstanding the fact that they're unrepentant. So there's no suggestion of repentance here. Um, some of the people whose feet are being washed, they are identified by um, morally uh, neutral things, such as um, skin colour, um, but some are represented by morally significant identifiers, um, and uh, such as... Um, being involved in the in the killing of innocent children or um or adopting sinful identities or um sexual expressions and and there's no suggestion at all of repentance with regard to these different people but rather what's being conveyed is an act of affirmation and the sense of you're fine as you are even that the the kind of title he gets us it's a it's a a message of affirmation it's he gets us he understands he understands this is who i am this is what i'm like he appreciates it he blesses it it's much like the uh, uk blessing if people remember the uk blessing from a few years back um a song that went viral in the early days of the uh, covid19 era and um it proclaimed the ironic blessing but on an unrepentant nation and there was a refrain that particularly I found, this is where my alarm bells started ringing, this refrain, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, that message of affirmation, now God loves us of course, but he is not for us staying as we are. And that's what this, these adverts are 
communicating. It's a message of affirmation. And we spoke, if you didn't hear um, the podcast from two weeks ago, I think it was on um, gay weddings and abortion, um, please do go back and listen to that because it's a discussion about whether love and affirmation are the same. But what we see in this, um, these adverts is very much a message of again affirmation. And, and really this, the, the ritual of the washing of feet is, is actually subverted and perverted and it's repurposed, it's really appropriated for quite a different message from the authentic gospel. Because what's actually going on here is the people washing the feet are really the, um, the, the recent losers in uh, the cultural wars. And they are paying obeisance, they are um, expressing subservience to their cultural victors in terms of the mainstream media. Um, it's very interesting to note that um, the people whose feet are being washed, um, to a T, it follows the, the kind of guidelines of the left-wing victim hierarchy. Um, so it, it would be genuinely subversive, as some commentators have pointed out, it would be genuinely subversive if you had um, this, um, this black man washing the feet of a police officer, that would have been a, subser uh, a subversive message. But of course, it's the other way around. And, and there would be absolutely, of course, nothing wrong with that if it weren't every single example, pretty much, is of the, um, the baddies in uh, mainstream media and, and sort of um, left-leaning progressive uh, Marxist thought. Um, it's, the, it's the baddies, the, the white, um, upper middle class um, people washing the feet of the those who are higher up on, on this kind of victim uh, ladder. And what's really going on here is it's a, it's a humiliation ritual. It's like licking the dust. And, um, and in fact, the only thing vaguely close to repentance you're going to see in these adverts is it's the repentance of those um, who, who, are, who are the oppressors, uh, apparently, um, purely by stint of, of the colour of their skin. It's the, it's, the, it's the white people, it's the police officer. What a bad man he must be for being a police officer. It's those who must, of course, be racist because of the colour of their skin. And, and they are, as it were, performing an act of, of repentance, apologising for the colour of their skin and, and the ways they're inherently oppressive. Um, that's the closest you get to repentance in this. And so what's really going on here um, is is that uh, this ritual of washing of fees, and indeed uh, the Lord Jesus himself, um, these are being co-opted and appropriated um, in, a, in a highly politicised um, campaign. Um, ironically, um, if you go to the uh, He Gets Us website, you're going to see um, this, this kind of rhetorical question at the beginning, how did the story of Jesus, the world's greatest love story, get twisted into a tool to judge, harm, and divide? Um, and and again, uh, on another page, it talks about how um, how did uh, the story of a man who taught and practiced unconditional love, peace, and kindness, how did it um, become associated with hatred and and oppression? Um, and 
it goes on to talk about how it was twisted and used into uh, it was twisted and and used for um, political um, gain, the polarization of our our politics. Um, the the irony, of course, is that uh, that's precisely what what they are doing. The makers of this, these adverts are twisting um, the gospel and Jesus and this act of foot washing. They're twisting that uh, to promote a particular ideology and uh, a very politicized one. And so often this is the way. Those who claim um, that the this kind of straw man other side is being political and divisive and so on, they are themselves highly political and very divisive. It's, it's, this, the, the, these adverts have been incredibly divisive, though ostensibly it's all about um, bringing people together and uh, the advert they used last year, which is all about um, not showing hatred for enemies. These things are actually stirring up hatred because they're actually there's a kind of passive aggressive vibe to this thing because it's suggesting that if you don't agree with us you are hateful uh, if you don't agree with these particular political conclusions you're not a good person and Jesus um, isn't on your side it's rather like when you get people declaring um, as if it's news to anyone uh, God isn't a Republican or God isn't a white man well no but nor is he a Democrat uh, nor is he an adherent to critical race theory. So often these straw men are set up and they presuppose a stereotype or they presuppose a, a position that no one is defending. No one um, believes we should be hateful. No one thinks that Jesus taught a message of hate, but the by framing it in these terms, um, they set up anyone who criticizes this um, as someone who is a hate preacher. And so we have to really be on our guard for this. It's it's quite a, a dangerous um, and indeed a dishonest uh, way of trying to put across a message because it's it, it's a bit like the, the, the slogan, love is love. It, 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 the attempt is made to make it impossible for anyone to object to that. Whereas, of course, the question is, what do we mean by that? What is love? On, on the subject of love, it's interesting that um, in many senses these adverts appear to be a plea for um, the progressive mainstream culture um, to to love us to it's a sort of we're sorry and we're sorry we've been so hateful and, and please accept us it's kind of um, virtue signaling uh, to those people but it's not working in the slightest people see right through it and you can find many examples of people on the left or the progressives um, seeing right through this and finding it patronizing and finding it cringe and it hasn't taken long for people to dig up um, some of the donors who are giving to this campaign and they are not happy with the sorts of causes they've supported in the past and this just serves as a case in point this is a, a great example of how this um, this policy of appeasement simply won't work um, you can never do enough to placate those who hate um, the gospel. You can never do enough to convince them um, that you're really like them, uh, that they're, they're not up for a sort of middle ground um, post-war truce. Um, this is a game we cannot win. We shouldn't be playing it anyway, uh, but we can't win. Uh, the final thing I'll mention about um, the general content here, um, if, you, and if you go to the website, it talks about um, 
whether whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God or not, he shows us what we as humanity are capable of aspiring to. And so really this is um, part and parcel of the progressive narrative that people are fundamentally good. Um, and that's what's affirmed through the, the foot washing of people, um, quite aside from any sense of, of repentance. Um, and so I hope we can see that this really is not uh, authentic Christianity. This is not accurately representing Jesus. Uh, indeed, it's um, it's very dangerous, and that's very sad because what an opportunity um, to reach millions of people uh, with a, a well-produced um, message. But sadly, it's the wrong message. But I want to focus in the last few minutes, particularly on one of the slides in that video, um, and that of, of course is the one that pertains um, most directly to the subject matter of this podcast, which is that of the um, killing of babies in the womb. Um, you'll have noticed uh, one of the pictures as um, a woman who appears to have left the ranks of the, the, the pro-life protesters um, who are clearly construed as the, 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 the baddies in the picture. They're, they're the ones who are not showing love. They are just at best a kind of spare part on the side there um, with their banners kind of hanging upside down with slogans like save the unborn and this woman's come over and she's washing the feet of um, a girl presumably who has had an abortion and again there's something we can certainly agree with here Um, we certainly need to love all people we need to love those who've had abortions Um, and we certainly um, we certainly need to uh, be very clear that the message of Christianity is not one of hatred for those who've had abortions or for those who are contemplating abortions. But the question is, what is hate and what is love? And of course, love is different from affirmation. Um, before we get on to, to that, it's worth just noticing, again, something that is um, some of the things that we could easily brush over here. Um, this scene takes place outside what's labelled as a family planning clinic. Now family planning is really a very horrific euphemism. Um, family planning uh, used to refer to killing babies in the womb. Uh, one might as well call the Holocaust um, ethnic planning. Um, this is not about planning a family. This is about destroying the family and starting with the very most vulnerable. So let's just be clear that um, whereas scripture and the Lord Jesus um, we find to be very, very clear on exposing evil and saying things how they are. Um, this is sugarcoating what's going on here. And really all the characters, they've got all the characters wrong in this scene. So you've got pro-lifers as being the baddies and many Christians have fallen for that stereotype. I'll come back to that at the end. Um, so the pro-lifers are the baddies and the girl is the victim here. She just needs a break. Um, the abortionist is nowhere and presumably they're not the baddie. And of course the baby is nowhere. So so the, the chief uh, wrongdoer, the abortionist, um, is out of the picture. The chief victim, the baby, is out of the picture. And instead what we've got here is pro-lifers are bad and they're, um, they're going through this humiliation ritual to say we're so sorry for how nasty we've been. Um, and the girl is being vindicated. Again, no hint of repentance here. Um, but rather 
it's as if the pro-lifers are the ones saying sorry because they've got it so wrong for being so nasty. And of course there is a false dichotomy being drawn here that you've got the nasty pro-lifers over there who are full of hate and you've got this woman here who's finally um, showing some some love. Um, whereas of course, and I speak as someone who's, who's, who's spent many hours outside clinics, not as many as some, it's not the mainstay of our work, um, but we we, we of course don't do it perfectly. We maintain what we're doing out there is love. It's love for the babies. It's love for the women because sin is never good. Violence to, against innocent um, children is never good. Uh, love without truth is not love. Um, we've been in situations where our team members have, um, have, have stood and wept and prayed and hugged um, with with women who were considering abortions and and by the grace of God, some have turned back and, and we've been able to see and meet the babies uh, still alive today um, as a result of that. So those who stand outside clinics praying or showing truthful information or offering support are not hating people, they are loving people. And in fact, they are enduring plenty of persecution in order to show that love. They are the ones who get harassed. They are the ones who sometimes get intimidated. They're the ones in our country who've just been banned um, by the abortion industry because the abortion industry knows that it sometimes saves lives and that does material damage to their business. So we've got to get away from this idea that pro-lifers are the baddies. Um, we'll come back to that in just a moment, but I just want to pick up on uh, one of those signs there that's that's sort of dangling upside down in the background, uh, the, the banner saying save the unborn, because it really connects with the fundamental question of the other advert, which is who is my neighbour? And if you watch that one, um, again, unsurprisingly, the people who are featured prominently, and I would agree absolutely, every one of those people is indeed our neighbour. Um, but again, it's interesting which people they, which kind of profiles they include and which ones don't get a look in um, rather predictably. Um, if you watch, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then it concludes that uh, our neighbor is the people we don't notice, the people we don't value, the people we don't welcome. And of course, we have to ask, how do the unborn not get noticed here? Why is their value not acknowledged? Why are they not welcomed because it is as clear as day that the most oppressed people group on the planet right now, including the United States, is not people of a certain skin color, it's not people from a certain country, uh, it's not people um, who inhabit um, certain gender or sexual expressions or identities, it is the unborn child. They are killed in their millions every year. They are by far the most persecuted and oppressed people group on earth. And we've become so accustomed to the persistent demonization of um, Christian values that we have gotten on board far more than we care to realize with this idea that the, the great evil, even when it comes to an issue like child sacrifice, the genocide of babies, at, at, a, at a deep level, maybe we're not even aware of this, 
but at a deep level we have so ingested the the sort of attitudes of the mainstream narrative that we actually are inclined to agree even those of us who call ourselves pro-life we are inclined to agree with what's conveyed in that picture in the he gets us ad that the pro-life is in the background of the baddies and we're the ones who need to say sorry um the, the those who have abortions just need need a break and the abortionist is not even in the picture and the baby doesn't get a look in we really need to um wake up and pay attention to to how powerfully and insidiously that narrative um, has really invaded our hearts and minds now before i go any further let me be very very clear of course um we show love for those who've had abortions we've got a whole sister ministry designed to help those who've had abortions to find forgiveness and healing in christ friends of mine have had abortions and they are wonderfully forgiven and healed in Christ. We absolutely need to show love to those people, but we have to be clear on what that love is. But I want to close with a word to inactive um, pro-lifers. Here in the UK, it is ever so common for conservative evangelical Christians who say they are pro-life and believe they are pro-life, and in a sense that is their position, at least on paper, it is ever so common for those people to hate pro-lifers more than they hate abortion. I mean that. They hate pro-lifers and pro-life activism and all that they are considered to stand for and, and all that they are apparently like. They hate pro-lifers more than they hate the killing of innocent children. They hate Donald Trump more than they hate the killing of innocent children. I mean that. They hate the idea of being associated with Donald Trump more than they hate the killing of innocent children. Now, if you don't believe me, get someone into conversation about this. Get your average Christian, your average conservative evangelical, grab someone in your church, get them talking about abortion, and then get them talking about US politics. And I guarantee you, I hope I'm wrong, so let me not say guarantee, but I reckon and I hope I'm wrong, that most of the people you speak with about these things, it, with most of these people, you will notice a gear change. You will notice something in their intonation. They will say they're pro-life and they're against abortion in a somewhat calm, maybe even an apologetic tone. But when it comes to how much they hate the idea of Christians being Republicans, how much they hate Donald Trump, how much they hate the idea of being outside clinics, how uh, pro-lifers are so nasty. There is a vehemence that comes to the surface and a clarity and a kind of conviction that you simply will not hear when it comes to the very act of killing unborn babies. They will object with greater clarity and with more meaning to the idea of Christians supporting um, uh, a party or a president or, or even just simply laws that protect innocent babies. They will show more um, revulsion at the idea of supporting such things than they will at the very act of child sacrifice. And what we're seeing here
realize people hate the idea of being associated with all that more than they hate that real babies, image of God bearers, they hate the idea of being associated with, with a certain side of the political spectrum. They hate that more than they hate what's happening to these babies. Or we could put it another way, they love themselves more and they love them, their reputation more than they hate the shedding of innocent blood. And let's be clear, God loves all people, but he, sh he hates the shedding of innocent blood. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. And we can even say Psalm 11 verse 5, those who love violence, his soul hates. And we have to hold that in, in balance with the fact he loves all people. But there are a few points in scripture where we see that the Lord actually hates certain people. And that's a sobering reality for us to grapple with. If God hates wickedness, if God hates the shedding of innocent blood, we are called to hate the shedding of innocent blood. But the reality is we love ourselves and our reputation and our comfort more than we hate the shedding of innocent blood. And what this is, is it's friendship with the world. This is friendship with the world. And this is what this advert really encapsulates. It's wanting to be on the side of the powerful. It's wanting to be loved by those who are currently um, in the ascendancy. Um, it's uh, not wanting to be hated, not wanting to be persecuted. It's friendship with the world. Now listen to these sobering words from James chapter 4 verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And so I want to say in all sincerity, woe to you, makers of this advert he gets us. Woe to you for using the holy name of Jesus and for perverting the gospel to promote a certain political ideology and certain values that are antithetical to the gospel. And just as a mere aside to communicate that uh, child sacrifice isn't a problem and, and God just totally gets child sacrifice. He gets that. He gets you. He understands us. What you needed to do and that's fine and we'll just give your feet a quick wash and you're, and you're good to go. You don't need to repent. You don't need to change. Child sacrifice is just one of the things, just one of the things that you'll throw your support behind if you've set your heart on friendship with the world and being loved by the world. And so whilst there's a lot going on in this advert, it's not just child sacrifice. Child sacrifice is one of the things that's being thrown in to the package um, and, and covered by this umbrella affirmation of a false Jesus and a false gospel. And I, I hope and pray that authentic presentations of the gospel including what God thinks about the shedding of innocent blood. I pray and I hope that the Lord will raise people up um, with, the, with the gifts and with the treasure to get messages out that are faithful and true and helpful and needed at this time in history in particular. I pray that those messages will get out and have a, a far greater reach and a far greater impact um, than these unfaithful and unhelpful adverts.